Aren't you glad to be a child of the King this morning? Amen. I had this little joke I was going to tell, and I believe I'm going to tell it anyway. There was these two preachers, and they were talking, and one preacher told the other preacher, he said, hey, me and my 150, when the Lord raptures us out, we're going to go to heaven before everybody else. And that other preacher looked at him kind of funny, and he said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the Lord said the dead in Christ will rise first. They don't get no deader than this bunch I've got. So aren't you glad you don't serve a dead church this morning? Amen. I've been coming to this church for about six months. Uh, Started around November, and I remember the very first time that I pulled up in the parking lot. Uh, I pulled up, and I got out with my Bible, uh, Donald, uh, me and Donald had a mutual friend. Uh, he, Donald likes to play golf. I like to play golf. And we were both getting lessons from a mutual friend. And that mutual friend told me about Donald and told me about the church. I was attending another church here on Wednesday nights. Uh, and then when COVID hit, they shut down their Wednesday night services. Uh, I'm actually the plant manager over the uh, Badcock Distribution uh, Center on Pegasus Parkway. So I live in Coleman, Alabama, and I come down here uh, Monday through Friday and then drive back home. So I, I actually have a home church where I live, but this is my, this is my second home church, amen? And uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Brother Donald, uh, I got out of the car that night, I had my Bible in my hand, and I kept looking where the crowd was going, and they were all going to that building over there. I was thinking, you know, it would be in here, but they were all going over there. So I kept looking, and, I, and music was blaring, and people was hollering and hooping, and I looked back to try to find the sign uh, to make sure it said Baptist Church because I, I really wasn't sure where I was at. But uh, anyway, as I'm walking up, I come to the front entrance of the, I guess it's the gym you call it. When I come to that front entrance, there's two men there. Uh, one of them's a big old guy. I'm telling you, he's a, he's a big dude. So when I walk up, I ask him where the prayer meeting was going to be. And he told me that uh, they wasn't having prayer meeting. I guess it was an Oktoberfest or it was something y'all were having over there, and there was kids running around, and, and I was fixing to turn around and head back to the car. And as I turned around, he told me, he said, hey, uh, hold on just a minute, we're going to go get the pastor. And uh, I truly believe if I would have tried to walk back to the car that that man would have grabbed me and handcuffed me to the building. He wasn't going to let me go nowhere until I met the pastor, amen? So here comes Brother Donald a few minutes later. He comes in there, and he gets me, and I'm telling you, he's busy. I'm, there's people everywhere, and he's, he's trying to interact. And I mean, it's a madhouse in there. But he stopped, and he took the time, and he come grab me, took me by the hand, and we walked through, and he was fellowshipping with me, telling me a little bit uh, about his story and his life. And I was telling him a little bit about my story and my life. And we'd walk through, and I had the Bible in one hand. We stopped by, and he said, well, here, get you some popcorn. And I grabbed the popcorn, and we're walking on around the corner. And he said, well, here, you got to get some peanuts. And I got the peanuts, and... We walk on around the other side, and he said, well, here, you got to have a hot dog, and if you have a hot dog, you got to get chips, and I'm, I'm holding my Bible, I got the hot dog, I got, the, I got all of it, you know, and then we walk around the corner, and he says, uh, here, get you a cold drink, and I shoved the cold drink in my pocket, and, and I almost needed a wagon to get back out to the car. I mean, he loaded me down, but uh, I, I do know this, that he did take the time and the love to stop and, 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 and take a stranger that he'd never even seen before, and one of the busiest times it looked like that he had in his ministry out there, uh, he took the time to come uh, fellowship with me for just a few minutes, and that meant a lot to me. Uh, anyway, as I, uh, uh, there's a lot of pastors preaching behind pulpits that are not called of God, 
uh, but you should be thankful to the Lord that your pastor is not one of those, amen? Your pastor loves this church, and more importantly, he loves the Lord. I know this church and your pastor are men of prayer. I've had the privilege of attending, uh, of attending three prayer meetings. Uh, two of them were at the rock altar. How many of you have ever prayed at the rock altar? Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's an awesome place. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege to go there twice now. Uh, there's a men's uh, Tuesday morning prayer meeting there every, every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. And I sure didn't want to get up at 7 o'clock. But you know what? That, that is an awesome place right there. And matter of fact, I stopped, out, I stopped out down there before I even come up here tonight and just got on my hands and knees on that big rock and just started thinking about all the prayers that had went up in that area right there and how much sweet incense just went up into the nostrils of God from that little hole in the woods out there. And there's something about being out there in those woods by yourself and nobody else around. And I don't know if any of you ever prayed out loud or not before, but there's something special when you can just get out there and pray to God. And there's something special about that rock altar out there. The last two Tuesday mornings, there's been three men out there. Uh, and those men love this church. Those men are praying for this church. Those men are praying for the members of this church, the staff of this church. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's something special when you have men that will get up like that and come out there and they'll pray uh, to a, a, Almighty God for the members of this church. Just imagine uh, the sweet incense that goes up unto God with three people praying. But imagine if there was 53 out there praying, amen. Imagine if all the church got out there, the men of the church really got out there and started praying. There's no telling what would happen. And, I, and I'm sure if there wasn't enough room for 53, Donald would get a tractor and clear another spot out there, amen. But uh, I'm telling you, that's a blessing, and I've, I've really enjoyed uh, I've really enjoyed that rock altar, amen. But I am a little disappointed in you, Pastor. Uh, the, the first prayer meeting I ever came to was on a Tuesday night. I guess y'all may have one sometimes uh, the second Tuesday of every month. So I had come to that one, and it was at 7 o'clock at night. And I got in there, and it was an awesome prayer meeting, but it was the same week of, of He's Alive. And uh, I lived three hours away, so that week I went and got my wife, Drove home, got her, and come back because Donald had been telling me about it. He said, you can't miss it. You got to, you got to check out He's Alive. And I said, okay, I'll do that. So I go pick up my wife, and we come back, and we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, the play starts, and all of a sudden, Jesus pops out. And I hit my wife on the side. I said, I was in prayer meeting with Jesus the other night, and nobody even told me. He was right beside me, and, 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 and I can't believe, you know, Donald say, Jesus is in the house, but no, that was a bad invitation, sorry, but uh, Jesus was in the house, and nobody even told me, you know, and, and what's bad is I got looking around up there, and I'm pretty sure Barabbas was sitting in front of me. I know there was a Pharisee to the left of me, and I'm pretty sure there was a Pharisee leading the prayer meeting, amen, but you know what? Jesus come in there and commune with us anyway. Ain't that, ain't that a good God? Jesus will come, he'll come sit down with sinners, amen, and uh, I appreciated that, but now, all in all fun, uh, those prayer meetings, uh, those are a big deal. Uh, the, 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 if, if, if you don't do anything else, get your prayer life right, and the rest of it will start falling. I know there's been a time in my life that uh, I didn't pray like I should, and uh, God answers prayers, amen? And I know that for a fact. Uh, so anyway, me and my family come to He's Alive, and I didn't want to just skip past that because I'm telling you what. I, I had an idea of kind of what he's alive might really be, but I'm telling you, it blew my socks off. Wow, 
What a ministry this church has in He's Alive. I've been hearing a lot about Judgment Journey, and I've never made it to that. I don't know if they're going to do it again or not, but I can't wait to see that. But I'm telling you, He's, uh, he, uh, he's Alive was a blessing to me and my family. I drove three hours there, and I would have drove 15 hours to see that again. Amen. And I just want to tell you, church, you know, you're supporting that uh, with your tithes and your offerings and your prayers. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was just an awesome, awesome, awesome event. I think Brother Donald told me that 70 people raised their hand and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Wow. Is there a bigger, is there a bigger ministry than that? 70 people. But, you know, I got to thinking, if only one person would have gave their life that night, those two days, it would have still been worth it all. Amen? Every bit of it. But that, that is, a, that is an awesome, uh, awesome testimony for this church. And I was so glad that I, that I got to make it to that. Uh, I, I know this message is for somebody here tonight. When Donald, Brother Donald called me Wednesday, I was driving home to the camper. That's my home here. But uh, anyway, I was driving home to the camper, and Brother Donald called. And I had talked to him earlier that day about trying to get my daughter one of those He's Alive shirts. That crowd was crazy, and I'm, I, had to, I had to go to the bathroom something awful when we got out of here. So the, and, man, the bathrooms were full, and I thought, I can deal with that He's Alive shirt later for. So I asked Donald, uh, Brother Donald about it and uh, Wednesday, and, uh, and, and he called me on the way home, and I thought that's what he was calling me about, to tell me maybe that he had got my daughter a shirt or whatever. And we talked for just a few minutes, and he, uh, he said, oh, by the way, you're preaching Wednesday night. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, uh, I knew you'd be excited. I got to be honest, excited wasn't the first words that come into my mind uh, after I pop my jaw back in place. Uh, I, I am excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm so glad that uh, I'm able to try to stand up here and do what the Lord's called me to do tonight. Uh, this is my sixth message. I got called to preach about six months ago, and this is the sixth message that I've preached. So uh, y'all please be in prayer for me. I'm going to need it. But anyway, back to I know this message uh, is for somebody here tonight. is because God confirmed it. Uh, I, after I got off the phone with Brother Donald, uh, Wednesday night, there's all kind of messages p start popping up on my phone, preachers and such, and I love listening to some good preaching, so I turned one on, and I was listening to it on the way home, and when I got home, I paused it, and I got down on my hands and knees, and I started praying for the, for the message tonight, and I was like, Lord, I, I've, got to, I've got to, I already had a message that I had been working on for about three, probably two months, and I mean, I had it all rode out and ready to go, and I started praying, Lord, is that the message you want me to preach tonight? And uh, he had just gave me two verses about a week before that that I couldn't get past. I didn't have a message for him yet, but the Lord put them on my heart, and he just he held them there. And I kept praying, Lord, do I, do I need to pray, preach this message, or do I need to try to, to study this message? And I'm sitting there, and there's about six minutes left on that tape when I get up praying. I start listening to him finish the message. And uh, the message that, uh, uh, this afternoon is going to be on Lazarus, by the way. I'm fixing to let the cat out of the bag anyway. But as I was sitting there listening to the sermon, I thought, Lord, I just need a sign of, of what message I need to preach. Uh, if you'll just give it to me, you know, Lord, please help me. And like I said, about six minutes left on the message. And all of a sudden, he's in left field. He's not going nowhere towards Lazarus. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about two big old rhododendron bushes he had and that uh, he knew nothing about trimming them. So he got on YouTube, and he was trying to learn how to trim the bushes. And the point he was trying to make in his sermon 
was, you know, he took his chainsaw and he cut those rhododendron bushes down. And as the pieces fell off, they were disconnected from the root. And he was talking about being connected to God and disconnected. But anyway, right in the middle of all that, he said those things were as dried up as Lazarus. So right then, I knew that this was the message that the Lord wanted me to preach tonight. Amen. So there's no doubt that this message is for somebody. I don't know who it is, but it, it's for you or maybe some of you. But if nothing else, I know it's for me. Uh, I will say this. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you tonight, don't quench him. If he tells you to do something, be obedient to him. He's telling you that for a reason. And he don't have to tell you twice either, amen? He's only obligated to, to, to stir you one time. He, he stirred me way more than that, but he's only obligated to stir you one time. If, if the Holy Spirit stirs you tonight, I just pray that you not quench it. I was at a revival meeting in Noonan one night. And I say all that to kind of get to the point about quenching the Spirit. I went to this revival meeting, and I didn't know anybody there. I knew one pastor that was preaching there, and I went to hear him. And when I got there, the service was rocking. I mean, it was, man, people was praising God, and everything was just, the Holy Spirit was moving in a way you wouldn't believe. And uh, I love camp meetings. It was, it was it's awesome. But anyway, Holy Spirit's moving in an awesome way. And all of a sudden, there towards the end, this man in front of me gets up, and he takes off to the altar. And all of a sudden, man, a, a heaviness come down on me and said, you need to get up and go pray for that man. I said, man, I don't even, I don't even know this man. I don't, I don't even know who he is. I, he don't, it'd be crazy for me to go up there and do that. And he said, go up there and pray for that man. Go up there and pray for that man. And I, I didn't do it. I, I hindered the spirit. And the Lord, man, he whooped me and whooped me and whooped me that whole night. I got home, and I told him, I said, Lord, if you'll give me another chance, if you'll give me another chance, I'll do it next time, Lord. If you'll just give me that other chance. He didn't have to. Next night, I get there, turn around, guess what? There he is. So I'm thinking, well, I'm, you know, I may, may have to put my money where my mouth was. The, the funny part about it is the first night that he went up there, nobody was even paying attention. The place was just, everybody was praising God, and it was, everybody was holding hands up, and, and, and it was noisy, and... Uh, all of a sudden, it gets to the end, and this guy gets up, and he goes to the altar again. And I'm telling you, this time, it's quiet as a mouse. There ain't nobody, there ain't nobody praising, there ain't nobody hollering, there ain't nobody clapping. It's quiet. And here he goes. And I thought, oh, Lord. I said, well, I told you I was going to do it, so I didn't even give myself time to back out. I went off right behind him. So I got down there to the altar, and I said, look, I know this is going to seem odd, but I said, for whatever reason, whether it's for you or whether it's for me, God sent me down here to pray for you, and that's what I'm going to do. Because I said, I was supposed to do it last night, and I didn't do it. And to this day, I still don't know what the purpose of that was. If it was God for me to show God that I would do what I said I would do, or if there was something that happened in that man's life, or it meant something to him that only he knew, amen. But all I knew, knew, knew was that, I, that I, didn't, I didn't want to quench the Spirit. And I just I caution you tonight. If the Lord at any time, and it, don't worry about it. It don't matter if I'm preaching right in the middle of something. If the Lord tells you to get up and come to this altar or whatever he tells you to do, you do it, and it'll be the right thing to do every time. Amen? So now that I let the cat out of the bag, we're going to be taking our message uh, this afternoon from the book of John, the book of John chapters 11 and 12. Uh, if I had to title this message this afternoon, uh, I would have to title it, Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive. How many of you know the uh, Bon Jovi song, Wanted Dead or Alive, back in the 80s, I think? But anyway, the, the title, if I had to give this a title this morning, or this afternoon, sorry, it would be uh, Dead or Alive. 
If you would, please stand in the reading of the Word. And we're going to be taking our text out of John chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple verses from John chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to kind of be jumping back to chapter 11 and working my way back towards these verses that I'm fixing to read into our hearing. So I'll be reading from John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, starting in verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. I'm going to read that one more time, two quick verses, verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. You may be seated. This is a very familiar story of the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, not to be confused with the story of Lazarus and the rich man that's recorded in Luke's gospel. This is Lazarus of Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha. The same Mary that anointed the Lord uh, with ointment, and, or the same Mary that, yeah, the same Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment, and the same Martha that welcomed Jesus into her home and asked the Lord, Do you not care that my sister has, has left me to do all the work myself? A few other things that are uh, worthy to mention about Lazarus is that this miracle was only recorded in John's gospel. As far as we know, the resurrection of Lazarus was the final public ministry of our Lord Jesus just prior to his crucifixion. This is the seventh of seven great miracles recorded in John's gospel. Only John 11 and 12 refer to Lazarus. All other history is silent. Even the silence of John is noteworthy, for not one word spoken by Lazarus is recorded, nor any account of his post-death experiences. As we start off in chapter 11, and I said we'd be backing up a little bit, as we come back to chapter 11, we find that Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, has sent a messenger to Jesus. And when the messenger gets there, it's about a day's journey from Bethany to where Jesus was. When the messenger gets there, he tells Jesus that the sisters had sent a message that he whom thou loved, lovest is sick. He whom thou lovest is sick. And if you drop down to verse 5, he confirms that again, that he loves Lazarus, but not only Lazarus, he loves Martha and Mary. In verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Aren't you glad we're loved of the Lord this afternoon? I don't know of a greater love story than the love of our Heavenly Father. Amen? That through his omniscience, uh, through the foreknowledge, through the, before the foundation of the earth was ever created, the world was ever created, that he already knew man would fail him. He already knew that we would sin against him. He already knew the great price that was going to have to be paid to reunite us back unto him. And yet he was still willing to pay that price. He was still willing to send the very best heaven had to offer to pay a price that he didn't owe because we owed a price we couldn't pay. Amen? And he was still willing to send the precious Lord Jesus Christ to, to die on that cross that we could be reunited back with him. I'm going to say it again. Aren't you glad we're loved of the Father this, this afternoon? Amen. Me too. 
But anyway, we're back to the uh, verses 3 and verses 5, no doubt. Jesus at this point has told us that he loves his family. He loves Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. And so no doubt, as soon as the messenger leaves, he's probably putting the fire out. He's probably making haste, uh, making Lazarus top priority to hurry up and get to Bethany. Uh, no doubt the sisters wouldn't have uh, sent for him if it wasn't something urgent. So I can just imagine that the Lord's uh, hollering at the apostles, telling them to hurry up and let's, uh, let's get over there to Lazarus and hurry up and see what's going on. But if we come down and read verse 6, it kind of tells us a different story. It says, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, Lazarus, he abode two days, still in the same place where he was. He never moved. He sat right there for two more days. I thought that odd. I've read a lot of commentary, different commentary, on why Jesus might would have stayed there two more days. There's some different commentary out there. Some say that it was uh, to give Lazarus time to die. Uh, I don't personally think uh, that's the truth. I personally think Lazarus was dead before the messenger ever got there. But uh, I'll let you study that out for yourself. Other, others say in that day uh, that when someone died, that the soul would keep trying to come back into the body for up to three days. They believe that, that after uh, someone died, that the soul would keep trying to come back into the body for three days. But then when uh, uh, rot would set in or decomposition or whatever, decom uh, the body would start to decompose that the soul would leave and would, wouldn't, wouldn't try to re-enter the body. So some think uh, that Jesus waited four days to kind of throw that myth out the window where nobody could say that Jesus come back to life because the spirit decided to enter back in the body. Uh, I personally think that the Bible gives us the answer to that question uh, in verses 4. I think one of the answers, anyway, it says, When Jesus heard that he said, when Jesus heard that, heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So the Bible tells us, I think one of the reasons Jesus tarried was that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I think there's another one here in verse 15. And, and just prior to verse 15, Jesus has told the disciples that Lazarus sleepeth. Uh, they don't understand that. They're like me. They're hard-headed. They're thick-headed. They so he had to basically just flat out tell them, hey, Lazarus is dead. So when he told them Lazarus is dead, he said, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. I think the second reason is to strengthen the belief in his uh, uh, disciples, not only his disciples, but all the believers that believed in Jesus, to show his true power, to show that he was truly uh, Almighty God. Uh, as we come down, Jesus is already headed to Bethany, uh, and on the way to Bethany, Martha catches word somehow that Jesus is on his way. So she leaves Mary at the house, and she comes down to meet Martha, or comes down to meet Jesus, Martha does. And as she comes down, as soon as she sees Jesus, in verse 21, she says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. If we flip on over to verse 32, Martha has went back, and now, and now here comes Mary. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, and this will sound familiar, Lord, 
If thou hadst been here, my brother would have not died. If you drop on down to verse 37, the Jews that were there said, and some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? The consensus from all three of these verses is that Jesus was too late, that, he was, that, that it was all over with, that, that there was no hope. Lazarus was already dead. Mary, Mary said it, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have stopped it. Martha said it, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have prevented it. The Jews said, hey, we've seen you, you, you know, you, you, you've healed the blind. If you would have been here, surely you could have healed this man. So every one of these, every one of these men and, and, and women have wrote, wrote it off that there's any hope that Lazarus could live again. It's over. Uh, verse 39 confirms it. If we read it, it says, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. So at this point, there's, there's, there's no hope. They think that, and this is not the first time that Jesus had raised the dead. There was actually two other cases before this that Jesus had uh, brought the dead back to life. But in this particular case, uh, it's been four days. In those cases, it was the same day or roughly close to the same day. So at this point, they're thinking that there's, there's no way possible that the Lord Jesus Christ can, can, can bring this man back to life. All three of them show no hope. There may be somebody here tonight that maybe you're in that same situation. Maybe you're here tonight and uh, you've lost all hope. Maybe you're here tonight and uh, you think, uh, uh, just like Mary and Martha and the Jews, that, that Jesus just too late in your life. That uh, if only he maybe would have gotten to you before you became an alcoholic. Or, or maybe if he would have showed up before you got hooked on crack. Or, or maybe if he would have showed up before you destroyed your family. Or, or maybe... Uh, maybe you've been spiritually dead for so long, you've lost all hope. Let's read the top verse of 39 one more time. Take ye away the stone. There's nothing behind that stone but death and darkness. That's it. That's the only thing behind that stone. And Jesus said, take ye away the stone. And if we come on up to verse 41, then they took away the stone. When they rolled that stone away, the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, by the way, went into that dark, dead tomb and lit it up like a firecracker. Amen. It couldn't stay dead because the life that was in, the light that was Jesus was life. So the point I'm trying to get to tonight, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how bad it is, no matter what you've done, what you, that you think that it's too late, that Jesus can't do anything for you, Tonight, do me a favor. If the Holy Spirit rolls that stone away from your cold, dark, dark dead heart and, and, and allows the light to come in and show you that you're dead in your trespasses and sins and that you're going to die and you're going to die and go to hell without him, if he shows you that tonight and that light fills your heart, I got some good news for you. The next verse right here, they took away the stone and, from the place where the dead was laid. And when he thus spoken, he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. If the Holy Spirit moves that stone away from you this, night, this afternoon and the Holy Spirit floods your, 
cold, dark, de- cold, dark, dead heart with light. I just pray that you're obedient to him because he's here tonight. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same Jesus that's here tonight with us. Amen. And he's standing right up here tonight. And instead of calling Lazarus' name, he's calling yours. He's saying, come forth. Come forth. If he's calling your name tonight, come forth unto him. Amen. And he that was dead, come forth. Bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. In my own life, I got saved when I was a young man. It was at a little church, and I can't even remember the church, but I do know this. I do know that the, the Holy Spirit moved that stone away from my cold, dark, dead, dark. I don't know why I can't say that tonight, but my cold, dark, dead heart. And he flooded it with the light of Jesus Christ. And he told me that I was dying. And he told me that I was going to go into a devil's hell if I didn't accept him. And uh, I went up uh, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior that night or that morning. And uh, when I accepted him, I was a young man. And I basically, I basically had my fire insurance policy. And I wrapped it up and I tucked it in my back pocket. But what I failed to realize is that I was still standing at the exit of the tomb with my grave clothes on. I'd never stepped out. I'd never stepped out of the tomb. And the Lord's going to allow me, I hope, to tell you a little bit about my personal testimony. But uh, I was standing there, and I was, I was, uh, I know that I'd been saved, and I I know the Lord saved my soul, and I, I praise His holy name for it. But I never read his word. I never got in and started doing the things uh, that a Christian should do. Uh, read my Bible uh, and, and those sort of different things. And Sorry, I'm getting really nervous all of a sudden for some reason. Kind of lost my train of thought. But uh, I, was, uh, I was standing there at that tomb, and the Lord Jesus... Uh, well, first I met my wife. Let me tell you this story real quick, and I'm sorry got real nervous on you there and I hope I can recover Lord help me and I was uh, standing there by this uh, at church and and my wife me and my wife I'm sorry let's let's pray real quick please father I just come unto you Lord Jesus and I'm not ashamed father uh, to, to stop in the middle of a message father and I'm not ashamed father that uh, my words are all jumbled up but I just pray father that your Holy Spirit would just take charge right now, Father, that you would help me to regain my thought, Father. Help me to regain this message, Lord, that you gave unto me, Lord. And I know it was for someone here tonight, Father, and I just pray, Father, that you just help me, Father, Holy Spirit, to do that, Lord, that only you can do in my life. Help move me out of the way, Lord, that you could uh, reign supreme tonight, Father, and that your word could be heard, Lord, the way that you would have it to be heard. Move me out of the way and help me, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So uh, when I first, my my dad moved around a lot, and I moved to a place called Coleman, Alabama. And I met my future wife there, my wife, and uh, when I first met her, her parents would take her to church. And uh, if I I wanted to see her, the only way I could uh, see her on Sundays was to go to church. So wherever she went, that's where I went because I loved her. So we started going to church together, grew up, and uh, ended up wanting to marry her, 
my wife loved chapels. And there was this little memorial chapel in Coleman uh, that every time we'd ride by it, every time we'd drive by it, she would say how much she loved it. And uh, that little chapel, I just found out last week, actually. I'd read about it. I didn't know that until last week. But the little chapel was actually a memorial for a man in Coleman, a prominent man in Coleman, where I live. And uh, his uh, son had come back from the uh, on leave from the military, and we have a big uh, spillway uh, waterfall over behind Larkwood. And uh, this young man, when he was younger, uh, he used to love to go out there and write poetry and, and, and draw, and, and he'd walk out to those waterfalls. Well, he had come back uh, from leave from the military, and he decided that he was going to go out there and, 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 and draw or, or write some poetry, but that day he slipped and he uh, fell to his death in the bottom of that ravine. Uh, and in months coming, the, the wife told the story that the husband, I think it's uh, Hubbard, uh, laid in the bed many nights. Both of them did mourning for their son. And he always told, he always told his wife that he wished that there was a, a church somewhere uh, that late at night that the door wasn't locked, that he could go to that church and, and find God and pray to God. And, and he told his wife that uh, uh, on different occasions that he just wished uh, that at any hour there was a church that he could just go up and, and go into without it being locked. And so uh, not long after that, he ended up dying in a car crash on his way to church. And uh, some of the community got together and they wanted to build, they wanted to build a statue of him uh, as a memorial. And his wife said, no, I don't, I don't think he would like that. And she told him the story about the unlocked church. So that little chapel is the unlocked church. Uh, they ended up building that in a memorial uh, for him. And like I said, I didn't even know that that little church was unlocked, but I do know my wife loved it. So when I got ready to propose to her, I took her by there, and that's where, that's where, I, that's where I proposed to my wife. And she said yes. And uh, anyway, we continued to grow up. Uh, I continued to, uh, we got married, had kids, and uh, we got in church. We were doing what we were supposed to be doing. I was uh, going to church. We were going to church every Wednesday, every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, we were faithful to church. And uh, about, I don't know, about three months in, four months, however long it had been, it come around that it was time to uh, select members for positions in the church. And I got nominated for a Sunday school director. And I'd prayed real hard about it. I, 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 really, I struggle in front of crowds, obviously, you know that by now. Uh, but uh, I felt like that's the, the Lord was calling me to that position, so I accepted it. And uh, as time went on, uh, I allowed that position to... Uh, basically just uh, take me, it took me so far out of my comfort zone that I just, I got to where I despised it. I hated it because every Sunday that I would get down, you'd have to get up in front of the church every Sunday morning and read the, the uh, Sunday school report and, and, uh, and birthdays and when and everything. And anyway, it's just, it, it, it just, it took me so far out of my comfort zone that every Sunday uh, that I dreaded so bad to get up there that uh, 
eventually, uh, I said one day, I said, I'm just not, not going to go. And uh, I didn't go to church that Sunday uh, because I dreaded it so bad. And then as time went on, uh, the next Sunday, I decided I didn't want to go that Sunday either. Two weeks rolled by, three weeks rolled by. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. And the devil just lulled me to sleep. And I'm ashamed to tell you, church, it was 10 years, 10 years that I was out of church. And, I, and I, you can, I'm telling you, it felt like a year. It felt like I'd hardly it just been out. I told my wife, I said, there's no way possible that we've been out of church for 10 years. No way possible. And we kept refiguring it and re-adding it. And, uh, it was 10 years. 10 years that I stood in front of that tombstone with my grave clothes on. 10 years. Yes, the Lord had saved me. Yes, I had my fire insurance policy in my back pocket. But there I stood at the exit of that tomb with my grave clothes on. Wasn't going anywhere. And, and, and what's funny about it is when you first get out, the convictions are loud. Jesus, he, he'll whoop you pretty good. But the more you reject him and the more you reject him and the more you reject him, the fainter and the fainter and the fainter and the fainter and the easier it is to continue rejecting him. Uh, and this went on for a while. I kept rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. And, and finally, uh, you know, 10 years had passed, and the Lord, in that still, small voice, I knew I should be in church. I knew I should get back in church. And, uh, and not, only, not only did I take myself out of church, as the leader of my house, I took my wife and I took my kids out of church. It didn't just affect me. It affected all of us. So the decisions I made as the head of the house uh, not only hurt me, but it hurt my family. And uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to answer for that. And, and I ask for forgiveness for it that uh, 10 years uh, I kept my family out of church. That was my responsibility uh, to have them there. But anyway, time kept rolling on, and, and uh, the Lord finally convicted my heart. And I thought, I'm gonna we're going to try to go back to church. So I tried to gather the family. We went back to church. And we was trying to go faithful, and I'm telling you, I was just, it, I was cold. It, the preacher would preach, and nothing would penetrate. I would pray, and it felt like uh, my prayers wouldn't even hit the top of the ceiling. And, and, and then the devil jumps in, and he starts getting on me and saying, uh, Lord's done with you. And I had never, in all this time, I had never doubted my salvation, not one time, all this time. Even being out of church 10 years I thought I could serve God just fine at home, you know. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, the devil's good at what he does. If he can separate you from the people of God, and he can separate you from the church of God, he can separate you from God. Amen. And that's exactly what he done. He lulled me to sleep. Uh, have you ever heard that song, Slow Fade by Casting Crowns? That's what it was. He just, I just faded right off for 10 years. But I, I, I kept trying to get back, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I got to listen to that old devil, and uh, I thought that the Lord had abandoned me. I, I couldn't. I really thought that that, that I'd pushed the Lord so far that I, that that, I, that I'd stayed out so long that He was done with me. That that He didn't have any more grace for me. That He was wrote me off. And the old devil, he he, he just kept riding me and riding me. And like I said, I kept going straight. And I thought, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. Even if even if the Lord 
has wrote me off, even if, if, he's, if he's sending me to hell and that's where I got to go, then every day I want to keep praying to him. Every day I want to keep trying to pray to him. I'm going to keep trying to read my Bible. I'm going to try to do those things that he would want me to do, even though I truly felt like that he was, he was done with me. And uh, I'm going to tell you, if you've never uh, been in the point in your life that you thought Jesus Christ was done with you, that all hope was lost and that you were going to hell, there's not a scarier place to be in your entire life, I can promise you. That's an ugly place to be, and I was there. I was there, and uh, it felt like I couldn't do anything. I tried, I tried, it, and it was all me trying, trying, trying. And one day I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, man, this sweet spirit just fell on me. And uh, it brought to my mind the prodigal son, just all of a sudden. I went and got my Bible, and I flipped over there to the prodigal son, and I started reading. And every verse that I would read, man, I could just feel the burden starting to lift up off of me. And I could just feel the sweet Holy Spirit of God just wrapping his arms back around me. And uh, I could just see uh, the father of the prodigal son sitting in the kitchen looking out the window. And uh, he's looking out across that field, and there's a big hill out there. And I can just see maybe a deer or something take off through there. And I can just see that father slide up to the edge of his seat. Is that him? Is that him? Nope. But as I continue to read, I can see myself coming up over the top of that hill, amen? And he didn't wait on me to come to him. He come running to me, and he had his arms wide open, and he grabbed me, and he kissed me on the neck, and he, and he, and he brought me back in. And I'm telling you, that was probably one of the best days of my life because I actually thought that I had pushed God so far that, I was, that he was done with me. And it brought me to a story that I had heard there was this family, and I think there was like 16 of them. It was a big family, and uh, they were eating breakfast at a big old slab table, mother and the father and all the kids, and it was back in the day when they had the big uh, glass milk jugs. And on those milk jugs, there was lines drawn around them. And as they would eat, they would pass that jug, and what it was for is they were so poor they didn't have unlimited amounts of milk for everybody just to drink whatever they wanted. So what they would do is they would drink to that line and they would set it down and it, and it, would, it would go around the table for, for, for everybody to get a drink. And if anybody drank past the line, then that meant that somebody else was going to have to do without. So they didn't do that. So this went on and about three months later, one of the little girls got sick and uh, got put in the hospital. And as she was laying in the hospital, the nurse comes in, and she's got a big old glass of milk with a straw in it, and she sets it in front of that little girl. And the little girl says, where's the lines? And, 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 the, and the nurse was like, what are, what are you talking about? Where's the lines? She said, well, I can't drink past the lines, or somebody else is going to have to do without. And uh, big old crocodile tears come up in that nurse's face, and she said, you drink all that milk you want, and when you get to the bottom of that glass, I'll go get you another glass. And I said all that to say this that you can sock your straw in God's glass of milk and you're never, ever, ever, ever going to get to the bottom of the grace that God has for us. He's, his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for you. He has more than enough for me and more than enough for you. And he had to show me that. And I thought that I, I, thought that I had truly, uh, that God had, had, had no more grace for me. But he did. He had, he had plenty of grace for me. Uh, got back into church. I, I got back to doing what the Lord wanted me. I was trying to read my Bible. I was trying to, 
trying to do the things right, going back every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, we were being faithful to church. I was getting my family back in church. Things were looking up. Things were doing, you know, coming, coming around. And then all of a sudden, uh, three months in of coming back, they uh, done another vote uh, for, conf- for, for members of the church for Sunday school positions and such. And uh, guess what I got nominated for? Uh, I got nominated for the assistant uh, Sunday school director. Uh, that year went by, and I got nominated again to be the uh, Sunday school director. So I said all that, that God restored me, and he brought me right back to where I left him. That's right where I left him. And, and here's the thing. If you step out to serve God, it's not an easy thing. Because here's the thing. This is, where, this is where a lot of us get messed up, is we step out to serve God, and we think that we're going to stay in our little bubble, in our little comfort zone, where everything's nice and neat and everything, you don't get nervous. And, but that ain't how God works. And, and the reason he won't do that, the reason he won't leave you there is because if you stay there, you're going to try to do it in your own power. If you stay there, you're going to just go, hey, I can, do this without, I can do this without his help. He's going to grab you, and he's going to throw you as far out of that comfort zone as he possibly can because he knows once he gets you over there, you've got two choices. You can either turn to him, or you can do what I did the first time and go the other direction. And that's what I did. It'll either draw you closer to God, or it'll push you completely away from God. And I allowed it the first time. I allowed it the first time to push me away from God. But it did teach me a lesson that this time I knew which direction to go, amen. I knew that he was going to push me out of my comfort zone, and he's done that tonight. Uh, He's put me in a situation that I absolutely know that I can't do this. And he knows that I have to put my faith and my trust in him. And that's all he wanted all along. That's all he wants from any of us. He wants us to put our faith and our our trust in him so that he can reign supreme. And and, and it's just like... It's just like uh, uh, David when he went to fight the giant. He he didn't just walk out there that day uh, to fight that giant. God had prepared him for that. God had, uh, if you notice, if you read back through the Bible, that uh, when he was protecting his flock one day, a lion come into his flock, and he defeated that that lion. It wasn't long after that, a a bear come in there. And you know, no doubt, he was thinking, well, I done got that old cat, so here comes this old bear. I'm not near as scared uh, as I was with a cat. He slew the bear. God prepared him. That way when he got in front of that giant, God had already proved to him that he could kill the lion. God had already proved to him that he could kill the bear, and he was fixing to cut that giant's head off, and he knew it. Amen? And it's something that God has to prepare us. God has to, he, it's, it's a process that he has to, he has to uh, we just have to get out of the way and let him go. And that's, that's the hardest part for us sometimes is to get out of the way. But, but anyway, uh Got restored back to the Sunday school position and uh, was going to church, doing everything that I thought I should be doing. And one day uh, I, I got up. It was, a, it was kind of a crazy day. I went to uh, one of my niece's birthday parties. And at that birthday party, a strange question come up. And they had just got uh, engaged. And they was like, uh, hey, we, we want you to, uh, to marry us. Said, Why would I marry you? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, I don't have any... I'm not a, you know, anointed or, you know, or, or have any of that. I can't, I can't do that. And I, th- I just thought that, was, uh, I thought that was weird. Well, I went to church that night, and it was just me that night. 
I forgot what happened to the family, but they wasn't with me. But I was, I was being faithful. I'm going to church. And uh, I go that night, and I get ready after the sermon to get up. And when I get up, I go to walk out that auditorium, and all of a sudden in my mind, the preacher's fixing to call on you. And, and I no more thought that, and all of a sudden my pastor said, Shannon, I need you to come up here. And I stopped in my steps, and I went up there, and he said, I want you to look me in the eyes and uh, tell me that God has not called you to preach. And I ducked my old head, and he said, no, I told you, I need you to look me in the eyes and tell me that God has told you not to preach. And I said, Brother Larry, I said, there was a time in my life that I thought maybe God was calling me to preach, but I said, uh, I, I don't think so. And I said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go home, and I'll sincerely seek God's face about it. I'll, if you'll pray for me, I'll go seek God, and if that's what God wants me to do, then I'll do it. So I get in my car that same night, and I'm driving home, and all of a sudden, another thought pops into my head. You need to go by that little chapel. That little chapel that I asked my wife to marry me in 30 years ago. And I thought, and, and at the time, I didn't even know that it was unlocked. I just read that story last week. So I thought, that's, you know, he wanted me to go by that chapel. And I mean, I could tell that's where I needed to go. So I'm driving down through there. And if you know me, I'm terrible with directions. If I, if I go that road, that's the same road I go every time I go. And if I get off that road, I'm liable to get lost. So anyway, I'm trying to find this chapel because it had been 30 years since I'd been to it. And I'm riding around, and, I, and I've already thought I've passed it. I said, well, I've already passed that chapel. I'm just going to go on home. I'm not going to worry about it. But I think I need to turn right where I can get myself back over here on the main highway. So I turn right, and lo and behold, the little chapel's right there on my left. So I pull into that little chapel, and I get out. And I go inside, and it had a podium sort of like this, but it was turned the opposite direction. And I thought that odd, so I grabbed it, and I turned it back around where it faced the right direction. And there was only six little pews for like two people per pew on each side. So it's just a little bitty chapel. And uh, I got on my hands and knees in that little chapel, and I went to seeking God. And I went to praying to God, and I said, Lord, if it's your will for me to do this, I said, you're going to have to slap me in the side of the head. I said, because I know this, I'm not going to do it if you're not in it because it'll fail. I have got to know 100% without a doubt that this is your will for my life, that you have called me to get up here and preach. And, and, I, and, and I really, at the time, like I said, there was, there was times in my life I kind of thought maybe he was calling me, but I'm, I'm 48 years old. Why would he, four, I'm way past I'm way past it. Most preachers start off young and come up. So anyway, I'm praying to God. I'm seeking God. And I said, Lord, I'm gonna need, I, I need a sign. And I said, I know I ain't supposed to ask for a sign, but I'm not going to do this unless I know that it's you and I know that this is what you want me to do. And I said, Lord, I need a sign. And no more than I said that, this loud boom. And I thought, what in the world? And all of a sudden, that door snatched open and uh, scared me to death. And I was on praying, and, and I know it scared them to death, too, because they wasn't expecting anybody to be in there. But it was four kids. And there just so happened, by luck, there was a scavenger hunt that night. And that little scavenger hunt put them on a trail to the smallest chapel in Coleman, which I just so happened to be on my hands and knees seeking God. And they just so happened to bust in on top of me. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, Lord, that was it. And a lot of people can say, well, that was just coincidence. No, no, it wasn't coincidence. What's funny is I, even in my mind, I was thinking, give me another sign, Lord. And he said, I just gave it to you, son. 
I've already gave you the sign. And uh, I got up out of that little chapel, and, and I walked out. And when I walked out, uh, those kids walked in, and, and no doubt uh, that chapel stunk. No doubt uh, that, 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 that little chapel had a stench because God ripped them grave clothes off of me right there in that little chapel. And I got out of that tomb that night. I'd been saved. I had my little fire insurance policy. I was walking around with that. But that's the day. That's the day that God ripped them grave clothes off of me. And I walked out of that tomb that I was going to serve him. And if that's what he wanted me to do, that's what I was going to do. Amen. And I've been trying to do it faithful ever since. And am I going to fail at it? I am, just like tonight. I, I feel like got all stuttered up here. and got. But I could have quit. I could have just turned around and walked off. Uh, but God's bigger than that. God, that was in his plan. For whatever reason, that, that was supposed to happen. So uh, I just praise him uh, that he allowed me to rip them grave clothes off. And I got out there in that parking lot and got ready to get back in the car. And, man, here they come. Another car, another car, another car. And everybody was in, their, you know, in that little chapel trying to get pictures for that little scavenger hunt. But the Lord Jesus called me to preach that night. There's no, there's no question in my mind that that's what the Lord would have me to do. So as I read on, it says, uh, well, I guess the next question is, what do you do? What do you do when your grave clothes are ripped off? What do you do when Jesus tells you to come forth? And I think we get that answer in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, there... They made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus, remember Lazarus, right? He was dead. He was in a dead, cold, dark tomb. And now where is he? Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Who's him? Jesus. What do we do when we rip our grave, when God rips the grave clothes off of us? What do we do when God says, come forth? We commune with Jesus. That's exactly what Lazarus is doing right. He's sitting at the table with Jesus. And, 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 and that's what we need to do, y'all. When we wake up in the mornings, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we need to spend the whole rest of the day trying to keep him there. Amen. That's, that's what we need to do. We have to, we have to trust in him. This world, and I told you, it happened to me for 10 years. And, and here's the deal. I sat at home for 10 years, but there's people sitting in church pews every day. Uh, for longer than 10 years, it's in worse shape than I'm in. Amen? You don't just have to be sitting at home. Not You can be sitting in this church pew with your grave clothes on. Amen? You can be sitting here not doing uh, what the... Every one of us have a called purpose from God. If, if, if you're not serving God, you're not in His perfect will because God put us here to serve Him. God put us here to bring Him honor and glory. And there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us that's still standing at the edge of that tomb uh, with our grave clothes on as Christians. And we need, to, we need to pray to God that he rips them off of us. Amen. And I'm so proud uh, he ripped them off of me. But as we come on, we're back to the verses uh, that I originally started with. And uh, verse 10, But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. I'm going to tell you, if you start serving Jesus, if you start trying to live for God, you're going to be the minority. There's, there, there's going to be a majority out there that's going to try to kill you. There's going to be a majority out there that tries to shut you up because they don't want to hear what you got to say, and they don't want you to say it to nobody else. And if you come on down to verse 11, why don't they want you to say it? Why do they want to get rid of you? Why do they want to shut you up? Because they 
because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Let me read that again. Because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. When we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us with his light. And, 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 and that's exactly what happened here. These Jews seen the light of Jesus through Lazarus. He, he, he's living. The, the, the Lord Jesus Christ lives in us. And uh, if, if, if we go out into this world and live like the Christians that we're supposed to be, people will see that light. People will see there's something different about us. People will see that, hey, I want something. I want what that guy's got. If we're witnessing, if we're reading our Bibles, if we're doing the things that we need to do, if we'll get out there uh, at the rock altar, if we'll get into the prayer meetings, if we'll get into those Sunday school rooms, uh, and Wednesday nights, you know, this is, this is the faithful group here. This is, this is the Wednesday night crowd. Imagine if the Sunday night crowd was in here right now. Amen? I mean, God called us to be light, to be salt and light. And, and we get so wrapped up in the world and ball games and this and that and the other, but this ain't our home. This is a temporary stop for us to uh, bring God honor and glory. And the only way we do that is we keep our lives cleaned up, we keep our lives prayed up, and we stay in His will. It's not easy. We're going to fail Him. Yes, we are. We're, we're, there's no doubt. We're in this flesh. As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to fail Him. But Jesus is in us, and we have to remember some people may never step foot in a church, but they might see you. They might see Jesus in you, and it may do the same thing it done right here. It may cause them to believe. Amen. That's all that the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, I just feel led, and I don't know where the brother went that plays the piano. Is he still in here? Can anybody uh, just play a song of invitation, uh, if you can get him to? And I just want to ask you tonight, if, uh, if you're here and the Lord rolled that stone away and his light come in and showed you that you're lost tonight, that you're dying and you're going to hell. I just pray that you not leave this building. I just pray that you come down here to this altar because Jesus is standing here and he's telling you to come forth just like he told Lazarus. Come forth. All you have to do is step out. Brother, could you play us a song of invitation? Thank you. Uh, I just felt led to do that. But if, if Jesus is calling you tonight, don't stand there. Don't do like I did. Don't quench the spirit. Step out. Come to this altar and do business with Jesus. And, and maybe you're already a, a, a believer, but maybe you're sitting there. Maybe you're sitting there tonight and you got those grave clothes on. Maybe you need to get up to this altar and pray that the Lord would help you rip them off. Amen. That the Lord would help you be that soldier that he put you here to be. That he would help you be that light and that salt in this world that's dying and going to hell. There's people dying and we don't have a burden about us like we should, church. We don't. We think it's just... We're, all, we're in our little bubble, and that's where we stay. That, that's not the way Jesus wants it. Jesus wants us to rip our grave clothes off, and he wants us to serve him. He's got a purpose for you. Maybe you're here uh, and serve Jesus from here on. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're close to Jesus, just like uh, John the Beloved. It wasn't good enough for him to be three feet from Jesus. It wasn't good enough for him to be two feet from Jesus. It wasn't good enough for him to even be one foot from Jesus. He wanted to lay his head on his bosom and hear his heartbeat. Maybe you just need to come down here. 
Maybe you just need to come down to this altar tonight and give some praise, honor, and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just do what the Lord tells you to do tonight, amen. come forth tonight don't sit there don't let the devil steal a blessing from you amen thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I, I just thank you, Lord, uh, that you love me enough to send the very best that heaven had, Lord. Pastor, Lord, and, and I'm just so thankful for this opportunity tonight. And Father, I just pray if there's one here, Lord, uh, that didn't come down here, Lord, that you stirred their spirit, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you put a hedge of protection around them, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you give them strength. If they don't get up right now, and come to you, Lord, that you would just put a hedge of protection around them, Lord Jesus, that they could make it back to you again, Lord, that you would give them another chance. Lord, knowing that they're, they're, not, they're not promised another chance, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. But, Lord, we thank you, Lord, and I thank you for these, this, this church, Lord, that come out tonight. Father, I pray special blessings in their lives, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you would just fill them with that precious light, Lord, that we could serve you, Lord, that we could be your hands and feet, Father. We love you, and we thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do, Lord Jesus. Help out of us so bright, Father, that others could see it and believe on you. In your holy name, Father, we pray. Amen and amen.